This is Ringler Radio, where you get all the latest news and information about the structured settlement industry from the experts in the know. Ringler Associates, the undisputed leader in structured settlements for more than 30 years and the only broker you need. Ringler Radio is made possible in part by the life markets that issue structured settlement annuities, including Allstate, American General Structured Settlements, Aviva, The Hartford, Liberty Life, MetLife, New York Life, John Hancock, and Prudential. Now, join Ringler Radio host Larry Cohen. Hello, everyone, and welcome again to Ringler Radio. I'm Larry Cohen, the head of Ringler Associates Northeast Operations and the host here on Ringler Radio. In case you're a first-time listener, you should know that every Ringler Radio show can be downloaded from our website, ringlerassociates.com, or from the Legal Talk Network at legaltalknetwork.com. Well, today we're going to be talking about the recent rise in litigation surrounding childhood vaccinations. Uh, I don't think it's any secret that there's been a recent uptick in the uh, incidence of autism among uh, a lot of children. And uh, parents are wringing their hands and trying to find a connection between these vaccine additives and preservatives and the rising uh, tide of autism. There, there seems to be a, a big debate going on around that issue. So we're going to hear today from uh, two guests who have worked closely with parents across the country who want their questions answered. And we'll also be addressing uh, the Hannah Poling case, which is a recent high-profile federal case involving uh, vaccine litigation. First, let me introduce uh, my co-host for today and one of my uh, Ringler Associate colleagues down there in Charleston, South Carolina, uh, Dennis English. Dennis, how are you? I'm doing fine, Larry. I'm down in windy, wonderful, sunny South Carolina. <laughs> Happy to join you. There, there you go. Everybody always tells me how wonderful the, the weather is wherever they are. I, I, I always appreciate <laughs> that. <laughs> and... Uh, to help us uh, walk through these uh, issues of vaccines and how they affect children, we have two special guests. Uh, first, let me introduce Mary Toko. Mary's been in the healthcare field for over 27 years. She currently manages Vitality Health, a pain relief, anti-aging, and weight loss chiropractic clinic in Charleston, South Carolina. Mary, that sounds like the place I could benefit from. Most people do. <laughs> She began to intensely investigate childhood vaccines over 27 years ago, spending uh, a lot of time collecting and organizing the information to try to answer the question, are vaccines safe? And uh, she's also involved with autism groups, doctors and parents who are, uh, as I said, trying to find some of the reasons for the devastating uh, increase in autism today. Welcome to the show, Mary. Great to be here, Larry. Great. And where are you uh, right now, Mary? I, too, am in beautiful, sunny Charleston, South Carolina. Well, there you go. Rub it in. Welcome. <laughs> <Mary>. <laughs> Thank you. Again, uh, finally on our show is our, our second guest, attorney Kevin Conway from the firm Conway, Homer, and Chin Kaplan here in Boston. Uh, since 1988, Kevin's firm has represented hundreds of clients under the National Vaccine Injury Compensation Program, resulting in substantial awards uh, to many of his clients. Uh, Kevin, welcome to Ringler Radio. Uh, good morning, Larry. Well, Mary, why don't you uh, begin by telling us about just what's the latest information concerning uh, these childhood vaccines? We seem to be hearing more and more about it. Uh, what's the latest state of affairs? Well, as you know, Larry, um, I've been working for about 14 years trying to expose the known problems with vaccines. What really started this public process was when Congressman Dan Burton 
uh, held hearings in Washington. He was the chair of the Government Reform Committee. After his grandson regressed into severe autism, um, after receiving his, his baby vaccines in 1989. Um, his grandson, the blood work they did on his grandson showed that he received about 40 to 60 times the safety level of mercury in his vaccines. So, of course, um, he began hearings in Washington. He looked at the autism increase, how vaccines are manufactured. He wanted to know about the safety studies. He looked into Gulf War vaccines, such as the anthrax and other experimental vaccines, um, which many people believed in the Gulf War syndrome. Mm-hmm. Um, he looked at the advisory committee, how it works. And what he did is he dug up a lot of issues that still really have not been resolved. Uh, he appointed Dr. Mark Geyer, who is a genetic researcher, to look at the vaccines in the mercury preservative called thimerosal, and he discovered that it was in 50 vaccines um, in levels that way exceeded the EPA safety level. So those hearings really started it all for the, the public. Um, he discovered that we had problems with conflict of interest in many of the agencies where people are getting paid by the pharmaceutical companies while sitting on different boards. He also stated that the pharmaceutical industry has too much influence over these committees. Um, he also discovered safety studies are short-term and often very biased and inconclusive. So what we have now is an epidemic of chronically ill children across the country, and I think we really must look carefully at what is the, the number one contributing factor to this. And mm-hmm. um, the, the largest common denominator is that we give children 52 vaccines for 15 shots by the age of six months. Well, that's, you know... And it's scary. Yeah, very scary. And uh, also, I know, very controversial at times. Go ahead. Uh, Mary, that's fascinating information. Uh, I know that you've made a DVD uh, regarding our vaccine safe. Uh, could we get a clip from that right now? Absolutely. We believe that the autism epidemic in this country is directly related to vaccinations. In fact, we believe it's the, that vaccines are the number one cause. Not the only cause. There are certainly other causes. Environmental, our food, the way we eat. But we believe that vaccines are by far the most biggest insult that you can do to human body, which can lead to autism and other neurological disorders. Well, that's interesting. You know, Mary, you've been doing this research for quite a while now, uh, and you're talking about the various additives and preservatives in these vaccines. What, what, what has changed in terms of what goes into today's vaccines? Unfortunately, not enough. Um, I'm actually very shocked that we've been involved in, you know, this process with these hearings in Washington. Um, Congressman Burton asked that 50 vaccines be recalled, and not one of those vaccines was recalled. In fact, you hear people often say, well, the mercury's been removed from the vaccines, and therefore, you know, it's not a problem anymore. But it took until the end of 2003 to use all those vaccines up in the country. So for three full years... Um, Congressman Burton estimated that 8,000 children get vaccinated every day. So for that many years, we were still using, you know, vaccines that contained 40 to 60 times the safety level of the EPA uh, of mercury. And and that's only one problem. Mercury is not the only issue. Mm -hmm. So unfortunately, I don't think a whole lot has changed. In fact, we continue to add vaccines to the schedule. Um, The flu vaccine is an example. They now want all children to get a flu vaccine every year. And currently, 96% of the flu vaccines out there contain 25 micrograms of mercury. So I'm afraid that not enough has changed, and a lot of these issues have not been resolved. Interesting. Well, why don't we bring Kevin in, uh, Dan? Yeah, uh, Kevin, you've been involved in uh, litigation. I guess you've represented about 1,200 families over uh, your career. 
Uh, we currently represent about 1,500, uh, but we've been involved in, uh, in these cases for over 20 years. Uh, we began uh, in the 1980s suing pharmaceuticals for uh, what we considered to be a, a bad vaccine, a DPT wholesale vaccine. And uh, there weren't many suits, but the injuries were so severe uh, that they, uh, they were very costly to defend and very costly to compensate. And so the pharmaceuticals went to Congress and they said, you know, we're not going to make these vaccines anymore. And that created a national crisis. And so Congress uh, established the, the Vaccine Compensation Program in 1988 for two reasons. One was to protect pharmaceuticals from lawsuits and uh, doctors. You can't sue doctors or, or pharmaceuticals for vaccine injuries unless you first go through the program. It's a no-fault program, and uh, it's been in existence now for 20 years. And the manufacturers continued to make the vaccines. They uh, developed a lot of new vaccines. And, uh, you know, and during that time, you know, we've represented uh, probably thousands of people uh, that have uh, claimed vaccine injuries and have been compensated for, for vaccine injuries. So that's how we became involved. That's interesting. Can you give us a, a really case example of litigation in this area? You know, the, the cases, uh, the injuries range from headaches and scars uh, to uh, lifelong seizure disorders to multiple sclerosis. Uh, these are all uh, injuries that have been compensated in the vaccine program. Uh, this summer, uh, we tried a case in Washington, D.C. Uh, it lasted a month. Uh, it was, we alleged that vaccines uh, caused autism in a child, Michelle Sedillo. And uh, there were 14 experts uh, for the, from the respondent that offered opinions in that case. We had, uh, we had six experts. And so if they can become, I've been practicing law for over 35 years, and these are the most complicated uh, scientific cases uh, in existence. So they can range from very small cases to very large cases like, like autism. And autism is, is, is about the worst imaginable injury. Well, what, what do you say are the legal, the key legal issues here? I know it's difficult to prove uh, some of these cases at times. You talked about all the experts being involved, uh, and those are obviously factual issues. Ultimately, the juries have to grapple with and, and, and others. But what are some of the legal issues that you, you grapple with? Yeah, and, and, that's, and that's an excellent question, and uh, it really goes to the heart of the controversy in this country. I mean, the, these vaccines do good as well as harm. And, uh, you know, I'm by no means anti-vaccine. Uh, I'm, I'm pro-vaccines in most instances. Uh, however, uh, sometimes they cause harm, but it's a big part of our uh, uh, it's a big part of our pharmaceutical industry. Uh, they say that these vaccines never cause harm. Uh, the uh, FDA approves them. The government approves the vaccines. They say they don't cause harm, and the medical community administers administers them, and they say they don't cause serious harm. And the bottom line mm -hmm. is, you know, the science there is not scientific certainty that they do cause serious harm. There's no scientific certainty. We still don't know how cigarettes cause lung cancer. We don't know the mechanism. We just know what happens. However, that's not the standard of proof. The standard of proof in the vaccine court and in, the, uh, in civil litigation is likelihoods. What is the preponderance of the evidence? Is it more likely than not? So, so these are the issues. The issues are uh, this, this clashing of standards between the scientific uh, uh, standard, which allows uh, the medical community to say there's no proof, and the legal community, which says, well, likelihoods show that there is proof. Mm. So those are the, those are the issues. Well, Interesting. Mary, when it, when it comes to vaccinations, uh, parents just don't know what to do. I mean, they're, they're told by their doctors, their pediatricians, that the, the children have to get the vaccinations. What can they do to educate themselves better on uh, negative effects regarding their specific child, and what rights do they have? Well, first of all, within the country, every state has um, offers uh, up to three different ways that you can exempt out of the vaccine program, and it varies from state to state. 
Uh, I encourage parents all the time to become fully informed of your laws in your state. And the National Vaccine Information website makes that information easily available, as well as calling your local health department and asking them to send you the written law. But there are usually, you know, three different exemptions. One is a medical exemption, which I'm afraid is, is abused quite a bit because many times children do have severe adverse events after a vaccine and perhaps should get no further vaccinations, but doctors often don't look at that and don't recognize it and don't call it an adverse event. So we have children who have already have asthma and autism and diabetes and uh, eczema. These are all signs that child could perhaps already be immune compromised and should receive no further vaccinations. But the doctors still continue to vaccinate these children, and parents just don't know. And then we have a philosophical exemption. This is the one that I fought for in Michigan, and we still have to this day. And that basically states that for whatever reason, whether it's safety concerns, your belief system, you don't, you know, you don't believe in the philosophy of vaccines, you can exempt out by signing a waiver form. Um, and basically that just means if there's an outbreak, you keep your kids home from school or whatever. And that is our precious, most precious right. And then there's a religious exemption. And this one is, unfortunately, a lot of people are being forced to use this because it's their only option. And it basically states that it is against your religious belief system to vaccinate your children. Um, and, and that, like in South Carolina, that's the one they use here in South Carolina. My, my recommendation is for parents to, number one, get fully informed about every shot that is being required and make informed vaccine decisions and know how to exercise your rights, because if you don't, you are no different than a slave. Well, let's, let's talk about the risks here on the other side of the equation, the risks of, of mm-hmm. not vaccinating uh, kids. And, you know, that I think it's just as important, obviously, on one side of this uh, debate, because so many vaccinations have been the catalyst to, to literally stop a lot of diseases that we've always knew about, like polio and tetanus and typhoid. Yeah. So here, here, here's the dilemma, right? If I could chime in on that, and uh, you know, I think that's uh, again, uh, you know, an excellent question. And that indeed is the fear. The fear is that uh, that uh, immunization rates will drop. Uh, they'll, specifically, that they'll drop uh, below 80 percent, which is what they what the target is. And that these 20 percent that don't get vaccinated are having a free ride at the expense mm-hmm. of everybody else. And uh, and because of this, because of this fear, they're mm-hmm. not honest. They are not honest enough to say when a child should not be vaccinated. And as Mary says, there's lots of times a kid should not be vaccinated. You know, if they've had a prior reaction, if, they've had, if they have some sort of autoimmune process going on. But doctors, uh, you know, they will vaccinate uh, if there's no scientific proof that, that it causes harm. And there isn't scientific proof, only legal proof. Mm-hmm. Then they will continue to vaccinate uh, and they will deny uh, a reaction. It's caused by the vaccine. It's caused by anything but the vaccine. But these are real issues and they're real serious diseases. Uh, but my personal opinion is is that if they had full disclosure, if they were honest uh, to the public, the vaccination rates would be fine, and they would stay high. Uh, but but the distrust that has that is uh, uh, fomented by uh, by all this denial is what's going to make immunization rates uh, rates drop, and that is a problem. You want to comment, Mary? Go ahead, Mary. Comment on that. Yes, I would. Um, first of all, if you look through the CDC records, which you know I have studied in great depth. There is no proof that the vaccinations have eradicated any illnesses around the world, and yet you hear this all the time. For example, the smallpox vaccine, you hear this all the time as being the vaccine that has eradicated smallpox from around the world. Well, 
the CDC's own records state that only 10% of the world got the smallpox vaccine. And it goes on to say that, you know, for example, India had 88% vaccine rate and still had outbreaks. And the only approach that works was to quarantine those who had the outbreak, and then it stopped. So um, there are many studies that do not, that actually say that it is not the vaccines that have eradicated illnesses, according to the World Health Statistics Annual. They study death rates around the world and look at trends, and they put out in their annual between 1973 and 76, they said there had been a steady decline of infectious diseases in most developing countries, regardless of the percentage of vaccines administered. They believe that these diseases disappeared as a result of improved sanitation, improved water supply, improved personal hygiene, and better nutrition. In addition, diseases for which there were no vaccines also declined, such as scarlet fever, and in the, in the long run, it said from 1850 to 1940, diseases had declined by 90% and were at all-time lows just when we started to introduce vaccines. And third-world countries where improvements were made, such as improved water, improved sanitation, diseases declined in general without vaccines. And I mean, I've got many studies that will back that up. I personally do not believe that, you know, we can take credit for eradicating these illnesses um, just because we had vaccines in the 50s. It just, just there's no proof of that. Hmm. Well, that's uh, Kevin, interesting. Uh, let me tell me about the National Vaccine Injury Act. Uh, if a parent feels that uh, their child has been physically harmed in some fashion through uh, vaccines and so forth, uh, how would they go through the process of making a claim through the, uh, the Compensation Act? Uh, you can actually file a, um, uh, a claim by yourself. You don't need an attorney. Uh, the, uh, the vaccine program, uh, however, does pay attorneys. The attorneys are paid by the program, not by, not by vaccine-injured people. Uh, but you, you just contact the, uh, their website, and, and they will tell you how to do it. It's very easy to do. Or you can contact our firm, and we'll tell you how to do it. Part of the problem with, uh, with some of these cases, however, especially the autism cases, is that there is a statute of limitations, and the statute of limitations is three years from the date of the onset of symptoms. And because of the statute and because of the, um, uh, the lack of awareness of the vaccine program, most autistic children have missed that deadline, and uh, in their case will just be dismissed if they filed. So I tell people to contact their congressperson, uh, get the statute of limitations extended. There was an advisory commission set up by the statute uh, to advise Congress, and that advisory commission has recommended unanimously that the statute be, uh, be extended. Uh, but if you uh, if your injury is within if your symptoms have been within three years, uh, you can you know you can contact our firm, or you can contact the uh, the vaccine program's website and, and get information on how to file. All cases are filed in the Court of Federal Claims uh, in Washington D.C. It's a, a court of exclusive jurisdiction. Uh, there's a two hundred and fifty dollar filing fee, but that's basically uh, you know all they need to know. Interesting, Mary. What what about this uh, Michigan opposing mandatory vaccines? This is a, a pretty big. Uh movement there. You're, you're pretty heavily involved in that. Tell us about that Michigan Opposed. They call it MOM. Yes. Well, I helped form the group in 1994 because they were going to pass a bill in Michigan to remove our philosophical exemption. And I have five unvaccinated children. I know thousands of children who, who, you know, who are not vaccinated because their parents have chosen to not vaccinate them. And I just felt like this is something we had to stop. So we formed the group, and we have an attorney as well who has litigated many vaccine injury cases in Michigan on our board. And we went and got about 400 families together, and we were able to testify before the government health committee there, and the bill was defeated. And that really began my pursuit to educate 
and to try to bring this um, information out about the toxicity of vaccines. Since then, we do still have our philosophical exemption. We were the first um, state organization to form, and now there's almost an organization in every state around the country, um, which is really, really exciting for me because more and more people are becoming aware of this whole controversial issue. And I would like to comment on the unvaccinated children um, free ride. You know, I think you mentioned taking a free ride. In every state where the vaccine rates are lower, there is no incidence of infectious illnesses. And this is one of the things that we brought out in Michigan, that just because Michigan has had lower vaccine rates, um, there has been no greater uh, incidence of the illnesses. And on the contrary, we can show data and, and chart and graph after graph after graph where we have highly vaccinated populations. They still have outbreaks of measles and whooping cough. And when you look at the statistics, it's the vaccinated children there are more vaccinated children who have the outbreaks than unvaccinated. So that makes you wonder, you know, we're using live viruses here. Um, who's causing the outbreaks? Do these vaccines really protect us? Um, it brings up a lot of questions. Well, there's no question this is a controversial area. Boy, we're hearing it today. It's very interesting to hear the points of view. Uh, let, let's jump ahead a little bit here, though, uh, before we take a break. Uh, let's, let's introduce this case that's uh, recently been decided in the federal uh, jurisdiction here called Hannah Polling. Uh, Kevin, you're, you're the one that really uh, knows probably more about this case than anyone. What, what happened in this polling case that's uh, so unique? Yeah, we've been going through a series of um, test cases. Uh, in the uh, in the claims court, uh, and uh, there have been several test cases tried already. And Hannah Poling, uh, who is a, an autistic girl, uh, her case was was uh, set to go as another test case coming up this mm-hmm. May. And, uh, and she claimed that mercury in her vaccines caused her mm-hmm. autism. And uh, to uh, to the surprise of everybody, uh, the the government conceded the case. The case did not go to hearing. The government conceded it. And and the reason it was a surprise was because the the defense has been that autism is purely genetic, and uh, in, in environmental factors, postnatal environmental factors, uh, cannot cause autism. That has been their, their defense. But yet they conceded this one case. Now, they did say that, well, you know, it's, uh, it, this is a very special case, maybe the only person in the world who has this underlying uh, mitochondrial mm-hmm. disorder uh, that was uh, aggravated. And, uh, indeed, she is, uh, you know, just autistic-like symptoms. It's not really autism. So they have gone to the government's gone to great uh, lengths to try and distinguish her from everybody else. But the bottom line is uh, is that they conceded that uh, that at least in this one instance, vaccines and they didn't say the mercury; they just say vaccines together. Well, it's one of those instances where uh, the, bar- the barn door may be open to crack here, and who knows what will happen. Who knows what uh, horses are going to run out. Exactly right. Well, let's take uh, a short break now, and uh, in just a minute or so, we're going to hear from the folks who make Ringler Radio a reality, and then we'll be right back with our real special guest. This is Ringler Radio, internet radio from Ringler Associates, Quite simply, the undisputed leader in structured settlements for more than 30 years. Since 1975, Ringler Associates has provided the finest structured settlement services to injured parties and their attorneys. Experience counts. Over 130,000 cases structured. Ringler Associates, the only broker you need. Listen to all the Ringler Radio shows. Just go to ringlerassociates.com and click on Ringler Radio and choose a topic. We invite you to listen to our other shows on the Legal Talk Network and become a member. It's free. 
at www.legaltalknetwork.com. Ringler Radio is made possible in part by the life markets that issue structured settlement annuities, including Allstate, American General Structured Settlements, Aviva, The Hartford, Liberty Life, MetLife, New York Life, John Hancock, and Prudential. Did you know that Legal Talk Network shows are also available as CLE? Including Ringler Radio. Visit Law.com's CLE Center at www.clecenter.com. That's clecenter.com to enjoy listening and get CLE credit. Welcome back to Ringler Radio. I'm your host, Larry Cohen, along with my co-host for today, Dennis English. Well, I'd like to welcome back our two very interesting guests, Mary Toko and attorney Kevin Conway. And we're talking about uh, the whole area of vaccinations and uh, the onset of almost an epidemic of autism and how all these issues intertwine and how they're dealt with uh, in, the, in the legal sense as well. Mary, uh, on your DVD entitled, Are Vaccines Safe? Uh, you talk about what you call the deception and greed that fuels the vaccine industry. Uh, I can imagine that, that's gotten you a little publicity. <laughs> How's that going? Well, tell, me about, uh, tell me about that issue. Well, I discovered a lot of it after the congressional hearing. So, you know, um, this is all based on congressional record. But you have drug manufacturers spending billions on developing and protecting, um, you know, protect, um, they, they develop them, and then you have a protected, uh, protected immunity, I'm sorry, for litigation. You have the government mandating them and reaping big revenue. You have big pharma now spending millions on campaigns for anyone who's running for whatever. You have doctors who build their practices around vaccinations, um, and you have schools who get penalized if their vaccine rates are low. Children with special needs bring in better money for the school district. So really the studies supporting vaccines are very biased and are funded by big pharma. Um, the medical journals are controlled by big pharma money, the media, the newspaper, radio. I can go on, and in my mm. DVD I actually name specific people who sit on the regulatory boards, the, the FDA, the EPA, the IOM, who, you know, get money from vaccine um, manufacturers to talk about how safe they are. Um, one example um, was, um, I'm trying to find it in my notes here because I just did all of this last night. Um, you know, we have people that are looking at the safety issues. Um, Catherine Edwards, I believe her name is, and she sits on the advisory committee. She was paid over $200,000 to look at the safety of vaccines, and then she sits on the committee. Now, I, I'm not saying that, you know, people can be paid off, but my gosh, how much influence do you need? So we really have a problem with conflict of interest. Most of the people who sit on these boards who are making those big decisions have waivers signed uh, every year stating they don't have to really expose where they're getting their money from. There's just a ton of conflict of interest and greed behind this whole program. Wow. Well, was, uh, I thought that uh, mercury had been taken out of vaccines. That's, that's you know, that that was something. Samarasol, I believe, is the, mm-hmm. is the mercury content. Yeah, in, in, in the year 2000, the uh, pharmaceuticals um, agreed that they would not manufacture um, any more vaccines with samarasol in it. Uh, they didn't say there was anything wrong. Uh, they denied there was anything wrong. Uh, they took it out uh, due to historical parents and lawyers like <laughs> me. That's the only reason they took it out. But they but they were allowed to use up the uh, the vaccines uh, on the shelves. And uh, and today, you know, the thimerosal is still in vaccines because the government uh, in the pharmaceuticals continues to deny to deny that in these doses mercury is harmful. For example, it's in the it's in the child uh, flu vaccine. Mm-hmm. Even children, as Mary said earlier, still can, can still get the Marisol and the flu vaccine. 
It's also in the adult uh, tetanus diphtheria vaccine and, uh, and other vaccines, to my knowledge. So, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's mercury, everybody agrees, is toxic. However, in the doses in the vaccines, the pharmaceuticals and the government and the medical community still say it can't hurt you. Well, are, are you are you doing anything on the, in the legal in the legal sense to uh, kind of stop a lot of this from going on? I know you're filing lawsuits and going bef- going and in, in, in taking uh, litigation forward, but uh, what about in Congress? What do you, what's going on there to help uh, this process? You know, it, it's what I'm doing is uh, like what I'm doing today is talking uh, talking to you, talking to your listeners, trying to educate to the public that these are real issues that need to be addressed. And, and there is a problem with government oversight. It clearly is a problem, as Mary says. You know, there, there is conflict of interest all over the place. There is a lot of money. But very important issues are involved here, very important health issues. So what I'm doing is I'm raising awareness and hoping that there will be other uh, Congress people like Dan Burton and like uh, you know, uh, Senator Weldon uh, who care. And uh, like I uh, will continue to raise these issues as they have been for you know for for years. Mary and Kevin, you, you know we both have a, a lot of friends who their families have suffered from the effects of autism. Uh, a very close personal friend of mine has two sons, in fact, are autistic, and they themselves trace this back to uh, to a vaccine. Uh, can you share with some of the other cases that you've been involved in? I've talked to, to literally hundreds of parents over the past five years. Uh, the, uh, there's a pattern. The pattern is the child's fine, uh, develops well at about 15 months uh, of age after receiving many mercury-containing vaccines and the MMR vaccines. They regress. Uh, they, have, uh, they lose uh, uh, social skills. They lose speech. Uh, they begin uh, strange behavior. They have gastrointestinal problems. Uh, and, they, uh, you know, and, and it's devastating to the family. They, they lost a child that they had. And and, there are, and they will do anything to get that child back. And unfortunately, uh, there are many, many um, potential avenues to travel, none of which are covered by insurance. Uh, but they try them all. They mortgage their homes. It's, it's emotionally devastating. It's financially devastating. Uh, their families typically turn their back. They can't get health, uh, like uh, they can't get respite care. It is the most devastating condition known to mankind. It's unbelievable. And to have two autistic kids is double, double Interesting. the problem. I would just wanted to jump in if I could. Mm-hmm. Um, there are children who are recovering from from autism, and the way that they're doing that, as you know, Jenny McCarthy talks a little bit about it. But if they're treating the vaccine injury through different methods of chelation, rebuilding the gut, um, meeting their nutritional needs, detoxing and cleansing the body. So you know, if you treat the vaccine injury and a child recovers, that should be a huge indication as to what injured the child. And this is happening simultaneously around the country to hundreds of children who are recovering from autism, and that's good news. Well, before we close, let me, let me ask both of you essentially the same question. You lecture around the country, you, you, you talk uh, to groups and to parents, and, and what would you say the advice is you're now giving to these folks? You know, one of the things we talked about uh, earlier was that these small little, little children uh, with Basically, undeveloped immune systems are giving are being given six, seven, sometimes greater number of these vaccinations. What's your feeling about that, and how do you educate the public out there? What are you telling the the people to do? I'll go first. Um, I talk to thousands of parents, so both through email, internet, and and face to face. And I tell them, first of all, don't do anything until you are totally sure that it's what you want to do. When you go into that doctor's office, you're asked to sign a consent form. 
You know exactly what you're consenting to, number one. Number two, there's no rush. I do not believe we need to start giving children vaccines day one in the hospital. And, you know, that hepatitis B vaccine has never been tested on infants. And so, to me, that's like right there, a big sign that we need to slow down here and take a closer look. Number, number three, look at the vaccine and make a decision, an educated choice. You can hold off. You can wait till the children are older. If your child is sick, um, we have a lot of options. I think doctors need to respect parents who choose to wait or who choose to not vaccinate. You know, parents are made to feel like they're bad or irresponsible, which is very wrong. And so I think we should stop giving them so early in life. We give way too many too soon. Um, the science has not been done to prove that all of these vaccines going in one given day is safe. I mean, my challenge is, okay, doctors who think that this is okay, I want you to get ready to take the same vaccines we're requiring these brand-new babies to take, only I want them weight-appropriate. So you, you make it weight-appropriate, and then you get on the schedule and take it every two months for the first six months of your life, and then for the rest of your life take all the other required vaccines, and we'll see how you function. Okay, I don't believe it's a safe thing to do. So more choices, more options, more information about ingredients, full disclosure, um, independent research into unvaccinated children who don't have these problems. Yeah, I, I, I give more of a sound bite. I say if they've had a reaction to the same vaccine, don't give it again. I say if they're sick, don't give it. I say uh, do, feel free to question uh, your pediatrician. Uh, and, uh, and by all means, if you have any concerns, uh, either delay or don't do it. Well, this has been a fascinating discussion on a timely and uh, quite controversial thank you so topic. Much, yeah, thank you very much. Uh, and it's uh, it's going to affect a lot of people's lives when they listen to this broadcast. And I, I encourage everyone to really take uh, take this information to heart. And Mary, uh, if someone wanted to contact you, how would they get a hold of you? My website is childhoodshots.com. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can Google Mary Toko, M-A-R-Y-T-O-C-C-O, and it pops up all over. Um, I do conferences. Um, I have a DVD to sell. My phone number is right on my website, so Ter- I'm pretty easy to find. Terrific. Kevin, how about yourself? Yeah, the same way. We have a website, Conway Home Wrench and Kaplan. Just uh, Google it and, uh, and you know, follow the directions on our website. Well, once again, I want to thank both of you for adding so much to our broadcast. Dennis, thanks for co-hosting. Thank you, Larry, and thank you, folks, and uh, I look forward to uh, distributing this to many, many people, and I'm sure they're going to find it very helpful. Great. If anyone wants to contact a Ringler Associate, the Ringler website, ringlerassociates.com, you'll find all the information and all of the broker's uh, addresses and phone numbers. Go ahead and uh, take a look at it. You'll, I think you'll find it quite fascinating. Again, thanks for listening. Now go out and all have a great day. Thanks for listening to Ringler Radio. Ringler Associates' experience counts. Since 1975, Ringler Associates has provided the finest structured settlement services to injured parties and their attorneys. Ringler Radio is made possible in part by the life markets that issue structured settlement annuities, including Allstate, American General Structured Settlements, Aviva, The Hartford, Liberty Life, MetLife, New York Life, John Hancock, and Prudential. Ring the Radio is produced by broadcast professionals at the Legal Talk Network.